Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks. Today, I'm excited to have Jessica Green back on the show. If you've been following our project, then you will remember her from our ninth episode where we talked about her path from the left to anarchism and her path from atheism to Christianity. And that episode received some great feedback. But today we're going to talk about prepping or being prepared when the next virus hits or the next storm rolls through. This may seem like an episode that is out of the norm for our project, but it is important for Christians to lead the way when the state continually fails and being prepared plays into that, how important that really is. Would you rather serve God than serve Caesar, you feel me? I'm just trying to live what he said. I'm just trying to live what he said. I ain't scared. I will take one to the head. Go ahead. Someone's safe to say that I'm bad. Someone's safe to say that I'm bad. Jessica, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here, not at work. It's uh, yes, it's sir. a lot more comfortable. I'm loving my new house and enjoying being in the quiet, not living in an apartment anymore. That I had neighbors that sound like every time they were coming up and down the stairs, like a herd of cattle. And you know, I sleep <laughs> during the day, so it's it's really it was, it's really peaceful out here, and really quiet. I love it. I've been watching your journey with your house on Facebook through your posts, and I'm so grateful that you've been sharing that journey with everybody because it's exciting. I would like to be where you are and building my own house on my own property, and so it gives me something to kind of like look forward to and look up to. So thank you for sharing that with everybody. Well, you, I appreciate that. I, I was, it, it was really, I didn't know why I was bothering people with it because I was sharing, I'd come out here while it was cool to watch it being built and yeah, from the ground up, like when they put the slab down and you just watch it just kind of come together and they put them together pretty quick. It was about six months to the time we uh, signed the paperwork. You are hashtag goals, sir. So thank you for, <laughs> <laughs> I learned a lot watching watching your posts at least. I was like, okay, these are some good tips for me too in the future. Yeah. And it's, it got towards the end, it got a little frustrating because we were closing mm-hmm. and they weren't quite done. Like I was, I was in there signing closing paperwork and my realtor was pissed off. I mean, and she's, she's about this big. I mean, she's tiny and the little ones. Yeah. She, I've never <laughs> heard her cuss before and she was throwing a fit because it wasn't done, but we got it all figured out. And now they're out of my hair, so to speak. My dad used to say of small women that we're closer to hell. So <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that before, actually. I've, yeah. uh, I've got a lot of friend friend girls that are that are tiny people, and they are firecrackers. At four eleven, myself, I can say that we do have a little bit of a mean streak when we're tiny. So <laughs> is it is it the is it the same thing as like a little man syndrome, or is it different? Um, I'm not sure. I can't speak for the little men out there, but you definitely <laughs> need to uh, assert yourself more. Or at least you feel that way. So I think that it just comes with being small in a big person's world and you're just trying to be noticed. There you go. <laughs> so uh, since the last time we, you were on the show, what have you been up to this whole time? I've, I, I follow you some on Facebook and you've been doing some painting and yeah, and podcasting and stuff. So Yeah. So I do have a new podcast project um, with my partner in crime, Cam Harless. Um, He used to do uh, the Make Liberty Great Again podcast. And when we partnered together, we rebranded. And that rebranding is The Mad Ones, which is um, based on a Jack Kerouac quote for those hippie readers out there. Um, It's basically the same format. We just, you know, 
very loosely talk about the political topic du jour. It's live Wednesdays at 10 and um, bring your sense of humor. <laughs> Cam is a funny dude, yeah. man. He's, y'all are both. Uh, I, I want to check this out because you're funny and I, I've listened. I've, I've interacted with him some on social media and he is hilarious. Yeah, we're we're not to be taken super seriously. I think um, <laughs> we have described ourselves as an absurdist comedy duo. So, you know, everything is so serious these days and everybody f- has taken the black pill. I don't know if you're familiar with this term. No, that's that's a new one for me. Yeah, Mencius Mulbug is the originator of that and he... Uh, describes it as, you know, in the matrix, you take the red pill, and you understand how messed up everything is. And if you take the blue pill, you go back to the matrix, you go back asleep. Well, there's also the black pill. If you take the black pill, you think that everything is doom and gloom, there's no hope, everything is just coming down around your head. And then there's the alternative to that, which is the white pill, which is like, you see a lot of hope for the future. And with the current state of things, especially like in the political realm, people are very prone to taking the black pill, meaning that they're just like, oh, everything is doom and gloom. There's no hope. That's not the way that I choose to see the world. And thankfully, Cam agrees with me. And we see a lot of humor and a lot of hope in sort of, you know, maybe it's gallows humor, but we definitely see reasons to be joyful and absurd and laugh at what's going on. And in a lot of ways, we feel that the state is exposing themselves and it's the best. It is the absolute best time. Oh, yeah. And that's something that Michael Malice says on his Twitter line uh, timeline all the time is this is the best timeline. And I totally agree with that because the mask is slipping and it's so fun to watch. Right. And I've I actually I, I, I agree. I mean, it, may, it really makes our job as anarchists a whole lot easier. Yes, sir. Because that they are exposing themselves and it is it is a very comical to me and i understand that the way they're behaving is violent and stuff but the, i'm talking to more and more people and they seem to be waking up to it a little bit my mom is one of them she's tired of all of it and i've gotten to where i don't even i don't even pay attention to them anymore you know people are always talking about it at work we had fox news on in the break room and people were glued to it somebody biden was gave a speech the other day and somebody's like craig there's your favorite or something i said i don't like any of them they're all the same to me. You might, you're just changing the face. It's all garbage to me. But Something that occurs to me, and yes, you're right, it's all garbage, but that these, if, if I had enemies, I would want them to feel that things were hopeless. I would want them to feel like they had uh, no way out and, you know, that I had already won. And I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of like the corporate media or the cathedral as some know it. They want you to feel that there is no hope left and that everything is defeatist. But, you know, that's letting them win before they've won. And if you were in a battle for your life and you only had 10% chance of getting through it, you wouldn't still throw up your hands and say, oh, my gosh, I'm done with this and walk away. And that's something I heard from Michael Malice, not to mention him too many times. But I was like, that's so true. Why should I give up? Even if there's only 1% chance that I could win, why should I give up? So I, I don't let the corporate media convince me that there's no hope. And that's what being white-pilled is all about. Well, that's the, well, the best thing you can do is turn that garbage off. Absolutely. You know, I, I, don't, I, I get my news from podcasts or I read like independent stuff. Any of this stuff, like you said, corporate media and that stuff out there, man, they're lying to you. It's, and they keep people at odds with each other. When you think about it, if you just if you're just talking to your neighbor or coworkers and stuff, we get along pretty well. And then you get into a political cycle, and everybody everybody's at each other's throats, and it's 
It's annoying. I, I'm so glad to be away from all that. Like, you know, you know, Abby Kleckner, she mentioned something one time, um, I think on the, our very first episode, I was asking her about her path and she goes, I was so glad to be done with all of that, all of that. She goes, I was happy not to ever vote again because it was just, it, it makes you mad and sad. <laughs> I have noticed that if I'm in a room where you have something like CNN or Fox News, it doesn't matter which, any corporate media entity is playing on the screen. If you turn that screen off, everything feels better. Oh, yeah. There's something in the energy presented by the media that wants you panicked, upset, scared, feeling like you can't turn it off. And you can. And once you do turn it off, you're like, oh, that's so much better. Oh, I could hear the birds singing outside. The world is not actually on fire. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was funny, too. We're talking about the break room at work. It's always on Fox News. Well, somebody, I don't know, they did it as a joke. Switched it to CNN. Oh, no. And people were throwing a fit in there. I, I can't believe they're making us watch this. I'm th- I was just laughing. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's the same garbage with a different narrative is all it is. It's, it's <laughs> I think the only people who think that there's a difference between the left and the right politically are the people who occupy the left and right politically. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone outside of it is looking in being like, no, you guys are the same. And they seem to be the only ones who don't realize that. Yeah. Well, I always have this picture of them after they turn their, they get done, you know, broadcasting that they all meet for dinner somewhere (laughs) and talk about how they're ruining people's lives and just laughing and laughing about it. You know why that's funny? That's funny because it's true. It is true. And I think that's how politicians behave too. I said, because when they're talking about these debates and stuff, I said, you do know that they're meeting for drinks after this debate and just having a ball with all this. And y'all are over here fighting with each other about it. And they're just, they're just, they're just being, they're buddied up together. It's, yep. They are, they are taking advantage of your fear, basically. And it's worked out well for them. They're getting rich and more impressive. They would not do it if it didn't work. Right. And they wouldn't allow us to vote if it actually worked too. So <laughs> if it actually made a difference. Yeah. All right. So like I said in the intro, the reason I wanted to ask you on is because I've seen you in the past talk about prepping. And with the the COVID stuff, and most recently, we had a snowstorm roll through Tennessee that, that we got hit pretty hard. And in both instances, grocery store aisles were wiped out. I mean, people panicked. And I've heard you talk about how important it is to be prepared for something like this. And then we're going to get into the Christian aspect of it, too. But I wanted to have you on because listening to you talk about it, I've kind of taken some of your advice on it, you know, like picking up an extra canned food or something, you know. And I have this weird obsession with canned asparagus. And I'm not talking about like the pieces. I'm talking about the long ones, you know, the long canned asparagus, the expensive stuff. And I've built up this massive amount of canned asparagus in my pantry now that I don't even eat it every day. But I've got all this canned asparagus. So if anybody needs some asparagus, call it. <laughs> I can hook you up. Yeah, it, it takes a little bit to dial it in. Pantry rotation seems simple on its face. Um, but if you have to end up throwing some cans away. It's okay. It took me maybe two years, I think, to dial it in to where I wasn't wasting any food at all. Well, let me not get ahead of myself. I only started prepping because an event like what happened with Texas very recently happened in Atlanta in 2014. And we were stuck in a massive snowstorm that iced over all the roads. I became trapped in my house for five days. And I lived in the middle of a major U.S. city. 
Um, so I was a waitress and I was used to eating at work and there was no food in my house. So about day three, things started to get really real. And I had a Scarlett O'Hara moment where I raised my fist to the clear sky and said, as God is my witness, I will never go hungry again. And that made me realize that I was living in the wrong place. And it's been about a six-year journey since then that I've uh, you know, uprooted my stakes and moved all the way out to the country. Now we live in a house on some property and we're building rain barrels and chicken coops and we have massive gardens. And so this has been a, a long process. But it all started with me being stuck in an emergency and not having the things that I needed. So if you found yourself in that position, say you're a Texan or somebody who was affected by that storm, don't beat yourself up about it. Just decide that you're going to do better from here on. That was what happened with me. And so now I'm in a much better position that if something like that hits Atlanta again, I'm not going to be affected in the same way that I was six years ago. And that's what I encourage people to think about, not about the end of the world, the apocalypse, the, the, the great volcano goes off, whatever. Those things are sort of like nonsense fears in a way, because if you tried to prep for those things and they really happened, no amount of canned food in your basement is going to like save you from the onslaught that happens from the destruction of our culture and society. So like kind of just get that out of your head right away. And just think about what does happen. Storms do happen, and they happen with pretty good regularity. You know, governments don't stand all that long on their own either. Those kinds of things happen all over the world every day that there is uh, civil unrest. And, you know, if you're living in a city in the United States, like Portland, for example, you might find yourself trapped and not able to go out and get supplies because there are Antifa rioters on the streets. There's just all kinds of reasons that you want to be able to do for yourself that don't have anything to do with the idea of the apocalypse. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I've heard I've heard you talk about that. You're not, you're not when because a lot of times when you hear the term prepping, that goes that's the first thing people think of. You know, like the underground bunkers and stuff. And but that's not what you're talking about. You're just talking about being able to survive for a couple of weeks, and if you're trapped at home, correct, right, and. You know, things that that do happen with some regularity as opposed to most people know as the doomsday prepper, which has some really specific all humanity ending event in mind that they think they're going to survive in an underground bunker with canned peaches. And that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, not, not to insult people who blow all of their disposable and not so disposable income doing that. I do think that it's important for a person, especially if they have children to just um, be prepared for the things that do come, which are storms. So um, I learned through a lot of careful research and through the aid of the uh, Latter-day Saints, believe it or not, about how to build a practical pantry, a practical prepper pantry. And the Latter-day Saints kind of have a history of being run out of town. So their people would have to pick up stakes and move away very quickly. And so it was recommended for all of their church members to have a year's worth of supplies for you and your family, just as a basic necessity. And they have a lot of good resources on their website. I think it's LDS.org that actually give you a list of what a family of four would need to be totally independent for a year. 
And that was where I started when I started on my prepping journey. Now, do you do you prepare for a year at a time? Is that is that how you go about it? No, 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 no. And I'm not I'm not even there yet. I'm six years into becoming self sufficient, and I don't have a year supply on me now. Is that what your is that your goal to have a year supply? Or um, my goal is actually to be self sufficient enough with the land that having that level of supply is not a necessity. Because I don't want to have to rely on 365 days of dinty more canned stews. That's, <laughs> it's not an exactly like a good way to live. I, I feel, <laughs> um, I'm more focused on gardening, chickens, canning, bread baking, things that used to be considered everyday skills for every person. And now we've become so pampered by never-ending prosperity that most of us have experienced for our entire lifetime, that the idea of the austerity that comes from, you know, uh, financial collapse or inflation, any of the things that affected our grandparents during the Great Depression would um, have such, would have a huge effect on us, much more so than it did on our grandparents. And that's because they knew how to do those things. They knew how to raise chickens. They knew how to garden. They knew how to do for themselves. And they were much more connected to their communities. And so they helped each other. And so one of the most basic survival skills you can have is a relationship with your neighbors. And that's something that's kind of gone by the wayside, especially in American culture. Some people don't know their neighbors. They've lived next to them for a decade. My aunt and uncle, the people next door to them, they've lived there for 15 years, have never spoken to those people. And that's a common culture in, a, in America that people don't speak to their neighbors. So my recommendation, even before you put a can of food away, is just to go meet the people that you live around and develop a connection to them so that when things do happen, you're there for each other because we need each other to survive. No matter how much supply you have, you, you need the other people around you. So that's my very, very first prepper recommendation before anything, before any can, get to know your neighbors. I like that. Um, that was, you know, a rough one for me because I come from a major city. I'm I'm a city kid. You're not supposed to talk to people, you know, when you come from the city. So that <laughs> I had to adjust. And thankfully, the people around me are better at that than I am. So I've been able to expand my skill set with people. <laughs> I think it's interesting because, and especially when you've seen how we've seen everything play out with the COVID stuff and. You don't, sometimes you don't know what you're walking into and how people are going to respond to, you know, if, if you choose not to wear a mask and stuff like that. And, you know, I've been, I've been berated by people for not doing it, you know, and stuff like that. So I don't, I don't know if, if that's something that the government likes to do as well. Like we were talking about the government earlier, like they try to keep us so separated. Maybe it's, maybe it's their goal for us not to get to know each other, you know. But living where I live now, like, you know, you said you live out in the country. I live about 30 minutes away from Memphis now, and but it's a whole different mindset out here. The people are more friendly. They will just talk to you like, like they've known you all, 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 all their life. That was a shock to be to be in a grocery store. And some woman who was just standing in line in front of me just turned around and starts chatting with me. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I've, I've been accused of being a social butterfly anyway myself. And I don't know if it's from my upbringing, but, you know, people can tend to get on my nerves. But I, I have a tendency just to start talking to people. And sometimes <laughs> people look at me strange, too. Like, why are you even striking a conversation up with me? I don't know you, but I can't help it. I just that's just why I'm, I've been and my friends will be like, man, why do you talk to everybody you come across? I said, I don't know. 
Maybe they're having a bad day. I think we need to fight against that tendency where we want to disconnect from one another. Because the more you're connected, especially to the people who live around you, when hard times come, which they will, you have other people to rely on. We're going to need that, especially when it comes to the next part that we're talking about, which is about how to start putting supplies together. You need a community. If you don't have a community, you're just building up supplies for the guy with the most guns. So things can't just go to a Mad Max level, you know, situation or you're going to be sitting there with a a rifle on top of your pile of canned beans for the rest of your very, very short life. (laughs) When they hear about prepping, you know, some of the ideas that they have about what they need to be doing, like building up a year's worth of canned beans, is just kind of silly when you think about it. So it is important to kind of get information from people who know what they're doing and not from television shows, which are meant to glorify people with mental illnesses who take prepping way too far. So make that distinction. Try to have some discernment in that department. <laughs> so what is your advice if for somebody that's just starting out that's not used to doing this, but but wants to start doing this? What is how How would a person just like a practical start to this to get started with prepping? How would you start that? How did you start that? A practical mindset goes a long way to this. Don't expect to be able to go to a store, buy everything you need today, and then be set. First of all, who's got the disposable income for that kind of thing? And secondly, you know, it it, it takes time for you to dial in what your family's needs are. And no prepper list or prepper website can say exactly for you what your needs are because you're going to have medical needs. Your children, you know, might have specific food, dietary requirements. All those things play a role into what are the types of things that you need to prep. Um, My friend, Brittany, she's got two children with type one diabetes. So her prepping needs, as far as her children go, are vastly different from mine and include, you know, needing to keep a freezer active even if the power shuts down. We haven't the same such needs, and that's a major need for her. So that's something to think about. There are three major parts to survival, which is food, water, shelter. Um, If you would like to go by the FEMA recommendations, which are not all bad, (laughs) uh, FEMA recommends that you have one gallon of water per person per day and at a minimum to keep three days on hand. The storage of water is a little more complicated than most people realize. You can't just fill up an old milk jug with water, put a lid on it, and put it in your pantry. It will go bad. Um, It can be contaminated, and that water won't be there and ready for you to drink when you need it. So if you are maybe, say, living in an apartment or a small area that you can't store, you know, 150 gallons worth of water in in a drum, I recommend getting one of those foldable flat um camping water containers. You know what I'm talking about? They're like five gallons, two gallons, and they fold out and you can fill them with water when the need comes. Most of the time we get a couple of days warning before there's a major storm. You'll hear it on the news, big snowstorms coming. Okay. I can pull my containers out of the closet or wherever you keep them, fill them up and then have them ready to go. If you're a family of four, three days, uh, you want to have 12 gallons of water just as a minimum. And that's for cooking, cleaning, sanitation, all that kind of stuff. And for drinking, obviously. If you're going more long-term and you want to store large amounts of water for a long time, that's a whole different ballgame. 
You need containers that are meant for the storage of water. You need sanitation procedures. And I would recommend if someone's, you know, starting to get really serious about this, teaching yourself the skills of how to clean water. Um, If you are in an area where you are dealing with contaminated water because of pipes breaking, which is something that happened in Texas, you can't rely on the water that's coming through your faucets. So you either need to be able to have your stored water or you need to be able to clean the, the water that's coming out of the faucet that's dirty. And there are several methods for doing that. There are uh, county extension websites that will actually tell you like your boiling water procedures, iodine procedures, how to do uh, filtration through rocks and charcoal. There are more ways to clean water than we probably have time to go into right now. But that is a serious life skill to know how to cleanse water. It's interesting you bring up the water because now I live in Oakland about 30 minutes from Memphis. So they got their own water out here. Um, Collierville, where I work, is right outside of Memphis. and They have their own water. Now, Memphis, when that snowstorm came through, they had no water pressure. There were people that live in Memphis that I work with. They couldn't take a shower, you know, or there was no water pressure. I mean, just very little water pressure. And Memphis was telling people to stop using their water. So I think it's important what you're talking about to do that. So do you, you're saying to have water like before a storm is coming, have five. Yeah. Okay. But you're not saying store water for weeks at a time. No, no. I I don't think that's a good idea, especially uh, for a beginner, because there's a lot of education that you need that goes into storing water long-term. That actually takes some doing and some knowledge. So um, yes, I recommend um, if you're going to do that, to spend the time and effort knowing how to do that. Because like I said, you can't just fill up a a old milk jug with water, put it on a shelf, and then think you're going to have clean water six months from now. That water will be contaminated and it will be deadly to you. So what I recommend, again, is those um, fold-out camping water jugs. They're usually clear blue. You can get them on Amazon for like 10 bucks. And when you hear on the news that a storm is coming, you have them to fill up and they're ready to go. And okay, we filled them up. I know that this water is clean because no storm has yet come through and broken the pipes. And then... Once that happens, you're ready to go. And hopefully you won't need it. A lot of um, places like Texas, that's a very rare event for them to have. But it happened to me in Atlanta in 2014. Six years later, it happened in Texas. So it does happen with enough regularity that just having a couple of those containers in the closet, not going to break the bank, a very practical means of being able to put some water aside just in case. So what about like bottled water? Is that different? Do you keep any of that on hand or is it, is it, because I mean, I've got a case of bottled water that I've had for a while. I don't drink a lot of bottled water, but mm-hmm. unless I'm traveling, I'll have some, but you know, like, but the, as far as keeping bottled water, is that different than filling up a, that container that you're speaking of? So yeah, bottled water has a shelf life. Plastics do break down. Also, you know, between heating and cooling, if you're not storing them in a proper location, some of that long chain polymer plastic can actually like leach off into the water. So even though those bottles might not have anything as far as like bacterially or chemically um, contaminated from the outside, the bottle itself can break down. And so I don't know if you've had those longer than six months. I mean, even if you have a, a container that's meant for water storage, there are some people that recommend you changing that out once a month. Plastic bottles are not meant for long-term storage. So if you've had them for six months, I don't know, I might cycle that out 
I, I rotate that item in your pantry. Hey folks, Greg here. And I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors have no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page. And you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in-depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. So what about as far as prepping for food? Okay, so this is another thing that a lot of people, something bad happens like a storm, like Texas just went through. They say, oh my God, we're not prepped. Let's go out and buy a year's worth of food and keep it on our shelf so that this will never happen to us again. Well, a year is going to go by. A lot of that food is going to go bad. You'll end up throwing a lot of things away. And that's just not something that like the average family can afford to do. So there's a really practical way to build up what they call a lauder. And a lauder is just like a storage of food. And canned food is awesome for that because it's shelf stable. It's usually good for about two years. And some of the food, depending on the makeup of the food, is actually good past the expiration date. So canned food is wonderful for storage. However, you don't want the cans to sit that long. You want to rotate them. So each time you buy a new can from the store of the regular food that you already eat when it's not an emergency, just buy an extra one. Once a week, buy one extra can of food. That new can goes in the back. It pushes the older cans forward. And each time you buy a new can, that can goes in the back, pushing the other cans forward, keeping a fresh rotating pantry. A lot of people get the idea, oh my gosh, the apocalypse is going to come. The super volcano is going to go off. And I'm, you know, I'm going to want carrots, you know, so I'm going to go buy a year's worth of canned carrots. Well, maybe you don't actually like canned carrots. Maybe you like fresh carrots and you're just trying to think about what you'd want to have for the rest of time. That's the wrong way to be thinking. You're going to throw all those carrots away. You're never going to use them. You don't like canned carrots. Don't buy them. Buy the stuff you already eat, the stuff that you're is going to keep you happy and satisfied. Don't be like, I stress this over and over and over again because I see people want to do this all the time. You're not planning for the rest of time. You're not planning for the rest of your life. You're not even planning five years or a year down the line. You're trying to survive a storm. So just make sure you have enough food of the kind of food that you already like to eat and then keep that pantry fresh by the new items that you buy go in the back and they push the older items forward so that those are the ones that you're constantly eating. It takes a while to dial this in. You're going to end up throwing cans away. You're going to end up buying food that you don't actually use or don't actually need. Um, Embrace your mistakes. Integrate your failures. Learn from them and say, okay, maybe I don't need six boxes of dried milk. I don't use dried milk. So, <laughs> that, you know, these are just some of the things that I ran into when I first started doing this. I bought, you know, I, I love carrots. I eat carrots almost every meal, but I eat fresh carrots. So when I was like building my prepper pantry, I thought I better get some canned carrots. I cannot stand canned carrots. So I ended up throwing away like 20 cans of carrots. It's a failure. 
you integrate the failure and you move on, you know? <laughs> so now I'm much better at it. I've dialed it in. I learned what works for my family, what we're actually going to go through. And that's the stuff. Once a week, I'll just throw an extra can in there. That's a $1.50 maybe per week. That's not going to break your bank. And that's over a year. That's 52 extra cans of food. Like that's a, a huge lauder compared to where I was in 2014 with no food. I thought, hey, 52 cans of food sounds pretty good. So um, I'm not prepared for a year. I'm not prepared to deal with, you know, the end of time or the apocalypse. But I can probably get through a good month. Now, I don't know of any snowstorm that's ever lasted for a month. But if that guy came, I'd be ready to go. Yeah, that's uh, that's important. Like I said, whenever the snowstorm came through here, man, it, the, the grocery store aisles were wiped out. I couldn't. I mean, I don't know. If, and maybe it's the, where you live too, because we don't get a lot of snow like that here. And maybe they were just, maybe they were just uh, not used to it, and they didn't know how to respond to it. They don't, and that's what I think is more accurately called doomsday prepping. When you hear on the news that a storm is coming, so you rush out to Costco and you buy everything off of the shelves. That seems way more like a person who's only preparing because it's doomsday. Whereas me, I like to think of myself as a practical prepper <laughs> as opposed to a doomsday prepper. Because if that quote unquote doomsday, which is actually just a storm, um, comes, I don't have to fight anybody at the store. I have everything that I need already. And I'm not going to be having to beat off an old lady with a cane to get the last bottle of water. So that's just... Another way that you can consider not having to go out and deal with the rush of people. You know, you were saying earlier, you don't like people all that much. Well, they're they're monsters when they're panicked. <laughs> so that's a really good reason to be prepped just not to have to deal with the people when a storm hits because they're wild. So let's talk about as far as being Christians and, and we're supposed to be able to take care of the, the needy and and help them and feed them and stuff. And I think this is this is going to play an important role because if somebody did not prepare for a storm or prepare for another vi virus or whatever, they're going to be hungry. And as, as Christians, we're supposed to be taking that lead and, and helping these folks. So as, as far as now we're talking, what we've been talking about is preparing for our family. Do you have any advice on saying or on preparing enough to help feed your neighbor? That's why I think my first and foremost prepping recommendation comes in the form of getting to know your neighbors and establishing a relationship with them. Because when I was a child, we had a story called Stone Soup. I don't know if you remember this story, but it was about a village of people who had very little food and they were very, very hungry. And one day a traveler comes to town and he sets up a big pot in the middle of town and starts boiling some water. And into the water, he places a stone. Well, the curious onlookers from the town come and they say, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm preparing a soup, a stone soup. And he says, this is the best soup of all time. You guys are really going to love this soup and I'm going to share it with all of you. If only I had an onion. Well, one guy in the village had one onion. He says, oh, I have an onion. So he runs home and he gets it. Puts the onion in the soup, starts to smell pretty good. More people are coming around. Man, this soup would be great if I only had a carrot. Little lady across the way says, oh, I have a carrot. Just one carrot, but I'll go get it. She brings the carrot. The carrot ends up in the stew. On and on down through the tail. Eventually, everybody in the town had one item that could go in the soup. And when they all put those items together, they were able to have a fantastic stew that fed everybody. But before that notion to combine their ingredients came to them, they all just sat there thinking, oh, 
All I have is an onion. An onion can't feed me. An onion can't feed my family. Well, you might be in that position with your last can of beans thinking, oh, how's this going to feed me and my four kids? Well, it's not. But if you've got a can of beans and your neighbor's got a piece of chicken and the other neighbor's got a piece of bread, you know, eventually things start to come together. And so a lot of times in the liberty community, libertarian anarchist community, we tend to want to get really away from the idea of communism. But what we should not get away from is the idea of community because communal support of our neighbors is very important. And we just prefer that it be done voluntarily as opposed to the state. So do not underestimate how powerful it is to have relationships within, within your communities. That will keep you alive much longer than your very last can of beans will. So preparing is only half of being prepped. The relationships with your community are another, if not larger than half portion of that. That's good. That's great advice. Do you have anything else you want to add to to being prepared? We went over water. We went over food. Is, is there anything else that people should think about as far as being prepared for? I mean, like toiletries and soap and, you know, you know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. So, you know, after you've got like food, water, shelter is secure. Um, and I'm not talking about secure if, you know, the atom bomb comes. I'm talking about secure if there's a snowstorm. So once you have that stuff secured, also start thinking about your medications, your first aid kit. A lot of people have a first aid kit, but it's kind of been plundered through the years as they've, you know, cut themselves cooking or whatever. And so you might be out of band-aids. You might be out of alcohol swabs. Maybe think about restocking that stuff too. Because if you can't get to the hospital and you cut yourself bad enough to need stitches, You know, you're going to want to have some medical supplies on hand. If you're really serious about having a medical kit, they also sell suture kits online and a practice board for you to practice doing suturing. It's not a very complicated skill. It's something you can learn with videos online and um, could be very, very beneficial if you're cut off from medical services and somebody's got a bad enough cut to need stitches. You know, if you really want to get intrepid with it, basic first aid and suturing is something that you can pick up really easily with a couple of minutes a week. And again, after a whole year, that couple of minutes a week will have built into a skill that makes you an asset to your neighbors, makes you an asset to your family. With stuff like that, and the, for the first aid kit, does stuff like that break down, like we were talking about water bottles and stuff, or is that something that's going to last for a while? So a lot of that stuff will last for a while. You Generally, if it has an expiration date on it, that's something to pay attention to because there are parts of things, medical things that can degrade. I think with, with suturing, you have a material, sometimes it's made out of cat gut, but I think they've mainly transitioned to synthetics with that. So you probably don't have a problem there. You know, really get to know the materials that you're using. If you're ordering these things online, read the pamphlets that come with them, familiarize yourself with their use, and then go on YouTube. And people who have experience with this kind of stuff have made a basically a university of skills available to people. If you don't know how to can vegetables, if you don't know how to bake bread, if you don't know how to suture a wound... All of those things are available in spades from different teachers on YouTube for free. So if you cut out a little time during your week, say 20 minutes each week, just to watch a basic skills video on any of the basic survival skills that we've talked about today, after a year, you will have built yourself a tool belt that will be uh, very useful to you 
if you find yourself cut off from services. Awesome. That's really good advice. I don't know if there's anything, is there anything else you want to add? I want to talk to you a little bit more about your new podcast too, because I want, before I let you go, tell us a little bit more about that where we can find it. But do you, can you think of anything else that we may have not covered as far as prepping? I would say just to have um, a very practical attitude about what you're doing. Don't do things in a panic. I heard this from Jordan Peterson at first, but I love it. He says, make hay while the sun is shining. And, you know, most of the time things are good and the sun is up. Those are the times to be thinking about what you might do in an emergency. When the emergency happens is not the time to be thinking about it. So if you find yourself really messed up by what just happened in Texas, beating yourself up about not being prepared is not helpful to you. It's not helpful to your children or your neighbors. What is helpful is making that sort of Scarlett O'Hara promise to yourself and saying, from here on out, I'm going to do better. And and you can, and it's a process and you're going to screw up and just keep, keep at it. No matter what, if you prepare just a little bit, you're better off than you were before. So you don't have to be self-sufficient in everything. Just be self-sufficient in something. That's good stuff, my friend. I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about, like I said, it was something that was, I started thinking about with the storm coming through and it just, it just blows my mind that people panic like that and wipe the grocery store aisles out. You know, just, I don't, you know, the snowstorm, we, we had snow on the ground for almost a week, you know, but it got, it was got to the point we could drive in it again, but it was, uh, I don't know. I just think, yeah, I think it's good to be, be prepared for this stuff because people are going to still panic. We've seen it over and over, over the, especially over the last year, but I think uh, if we can, be prepared ourselves. I think it's cool not to panic. <laughs> like if you know a storm's coming and you, or you know that people are freaked out about something, they're going to go wipe out the shelves. And what I, I wanted to ask you about, it was like meat, like uh, keeping meat frozen. You know, like if you lose power and stuff, you're, I've, I've got a deep freeze in my garage. Now, I know that that was this food in there will stay frozen for a while. And I don't know if it's the same as like your regular freezer in your kitchen, but I know with this one, I moved from Arkansas to Tennessee. I, did, I just left all that food in the freezer and it stayed frozen. You know, that was a six hour trip. But I, you know, I think it's going to, a deep freeze is very important to have as far as keeping meat. So a deep freezer freezes at a much colder temperature than your standard uh, kitchen freezer. And so the thing you may have noticed, like when you pull meat out of that freezer, it takes it much, much longer to dethaw in the refrigerator than something from the regular freezer. And that's just because it's so much colder. So as long as you don't open your freezer, I mean, you're at, le- at least a week, if not more, is is available to you. Now, again, when you're going the path of using something that is expired or you're dubious about, in normal circumstances, I'm a if-in-doubt-throw-it-out kind of girl. If If I don't think a can looks right, it's dented, whatever. I, it's not worth ending up in the hospital. Be I'll throw it away. Now, if we're in a you know terrible situation, we're starving, and the only thing we have is a can of beans that expired maybe six months ago. Canned goods they last a really long time. I would just you know use your senses, your taste, your touch, your sight, your smell are going to tell you a lot about that food. That comes with the meat too. So if the meat you know it it's going to give you indications. Is it slimy? You know, is, does it smell bad? Is it discolored? Um, once you're checking those things off and it seems okay, it's not, I would just cook the hell out of it, but I'm, I would rather that than starvation. So canned goods have a really high shelf life. 
Some of them have been known to last five, even longer years after their expiration date. Just if you're going to do that, just really, really cook the hell out of it. Um, They say boiling for at least five minutes is the minimum to um, sterilize food from foodborne illnesses. Foodborne illness can kill you. It can put you in the hospital. It's not something to joke around about. So um, during normal circumstances, while the lights are still on, if you're in doubt, throw it out. Never eat expired food. If you find yourself in that position, canned foods do last past their expiration date. Meat that's been in a deep freezer that still looks okay and is still hard is probably going to be fine. But just use your senses, use your smarts, and know that expired food can really hurt you. Good, man. Um, so tell me a little bit about your podcast, a little bit more about it and where we can find you guys at. You said it's a, on Wednesday nights. At, you said 10 o'clock. Is that Central Eastern time? Or? We do Eastern. So we're live Wednesdays at 10. Um, and it's like I said, we're kind of an absurdist comedy duo. We really talk about whatever happened between then and Monday. <laughs> like <laughs> um, It's just kind of like a we- weekly breakdown. Um, I wouldn't call us like a straight news show or anything like that. But my partner in crime, Cam Harless, and I, we're live every Wednesday. And we're having Thaddeus Russell on. I think we're having Scott Horton on. So we've got some really good guests that I'm really excited about. Uh, we're on YouTube. Yeah, we'll, we'll have it in the show notes. Or, you just, or if you just uh, tell us where you can find it on YouTube as well. But Right, right. So um, apparently when you search, search the mad ones, we're not the very first uh, podcast that comes up. But um, you can see our yellow smoke logo is that that's the that's the way that you know that it's us. And uh, also, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Soup Canarchist. <laughs> and <love that>. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that that's a little nod to my my prepping, actually. Uh, yeah, so, so if you have questions about prepping and you want to get in touch with me on Twitter, I'm very open to answering any kind of questions. I'm new in this journey myself, about six years in. There are more experienced people than me. Um, I recommend going to the the Mormon church, the Latter-day Saints church. They have a fantastic website with so much useful information on it. Whether you're into the Mormons or not is aside from the point, they're really good at prepping. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you if you, if, 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 because you'd mentioned them, if there was anybody else that we could check out to get some more information. So there are a lot of, um, like I said, YouTube is a virtual university, especially for like hand skills, any kind of like gardening, wood chopping. There's a guy, uh, he, he goes by Uncle Knackers. He built his own house from scratch and he has a 77 uh, part series on YouTube of him building his own house. You want to talk about agorism. You can't get more agoristic than building your own house. So just go on YouTube, start, you know, like I said, maybe carve out just half an hour in your week and watch videos about bread baking, watch videos about how to, how to can tomatoes, just, you know, basic stuff like that. And, and try to remind yourself of the skills that used to be basic skills for everybody, things that your grandparents would have not even blinked about knowing how to do. The more of those types of skills you can learn, the more you're going to be an asset when things are hard, when in, in those kinds of times they come, storms happen, financial collapses happen, just, you know, the more you can be an asset to your community as opposed to a burden, the more you're going to make it easier on other people. That alone, just make yourself less of a burden. Even if you can't be an asset, be less of a burden if you can. There you go. 
Oh, you, back to your podcast, and you said to Scott Horton. Whenever you, when you guys have him on, let me know because I mean I'll be at work Wednesday nights. So Are we able to watch this stuff later? I mean I'm sure it's still going to be up on YouTube. We put it all up on the YouTube. Yep. I had him on on our show, and, and that guy's incredible. That, and he can he can just run with this this information he has, especially on American foreign policy, is top notch. Bar none. I, I don't know anybody else like him on that stuff. And it's really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff as well. He's an amazing asset to everybody who has the benefit of listening to him. And I, I can't, um, there are people out there who don't like Scott Horton, but I, I don't want to associate with them. So <laughs> he's the best. I don't know anybody like that. I saw somebody, uh, Austin Peters. Yeah. Peterson. I was no, not going to name names. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have much of a filter. I'll tell on everybody. Right. But yeah, um, I, I saw something where they were going back and forth on Twitter or something. I was like, how do you not like Scott Horton? Yeah, I saw somebody say that. They're like, can you imagine not liking Scott Horton? I was like, no, I can't. <laughs> He's amazing. It doesn't make any sense. No. I when you said that, I was like, really? There's people out there that don't like him? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I remember that. I saw that with Austin Peterson. Yeah, a little, little Twitter drama going on. <laughs> Man, I really appreciate you coming on and talking to me. And I want to do it again sometime. If we ever have another round table, get you back on to anytime. Thanks for joining us this week on the bad Roman podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. Bad Roman.